got to look at my watch. I was going to say good morning or good afternoon. Good morning, everybody. When, we, when we're done, it'll be afternoon, I suppose. So I need to make a confession. I, uh, I got in a fight this week with God. I got in a fight with God. And in case you're wondering, yeah, very good. He did. Um, I started wrestling with the message, uh, Psalm 20, on Monday. By Thursday afternoon, I had nothing on paper. Not kidding. And then I, I, I knelt right here. My, I, I actually texted my wife from the cafe. I'd got lunch, and I was in the cafe eating lunch. And I texted my wife, and I just said, I don't know what to do. I just said, I, God, is just, it's just not happening. Something's just, I don't know what he wants me to say. Or I was fighting God and resisting what he wanted me to say. So she's, she gave me some suggestions. And one of them, she goes, go in the sanctuary and just picture the church. And so I sat over here, and I knelt down right there, and I prayed for about 20 minutes. Whew. And uh, God made it very clear what he wanted me to, to say. And um, I always enjoy giving an encouraging word. I'm always uh, uh, a little more leery when God wants me to give a challenging word, uh, especially in my role as the new guy. Um, but I believe it's an encouraging word as well, but it will be a challenging word. So if you guys are ready for that, I'm ready to go if you are. Is that all right? Okay. You know, it's funny, even as I started preparing, I was still like, are you sure, God, are you sure? I was just really nervous and even fighting him yesterday afternoon, but indeed, God did, God did win. Is Pastor Dave in here? It's okay if he's not. I just wanted to say, recognize him and the great job he did last week with Psalm 19. Was that amazing? There's a whole other cool story from a family that was visiting last week. And how that message touched that family through their teenage son. It was amazing, amazing what God did last week. So cool. Um, You may have heard it said that the Bible is not a G-rated book. Yes? Um, Well, Psalm 20 certainly has some encouraging uh, things within it. But it's a very serious business as well. Scripture is like that sometimes, right? So let's read Psalm 20. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 20. The other shout-out I wanted to give and I failed to do was Steve Hogan. For those of you who took his class, they're on vacation this week, but I think the last six Sundays, yeah, great job for Steve Hogan in that class uh, going through 1 John. So thank you, Steve and Jen, for all your hard work. Psalm 20, let's read, and then we're going to pray. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May He send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May He remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. Verse 4. May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. Verse 7. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of our Lord, the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord, may the King answer us in the day we call. Let's pray. 
Lord, to you we turn our faces and we seek you for answers, knowing that you are trustworthy and that you have great things for us if we would but trust you and turn to you in all things. And so, Lord, we do that this morning and we lift our time up to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So, who read Psalm 20? Did anybody get a chance to read it during the week? Please raise your hand if you did. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thank you for doing that. And again, it's, it's in the bulletin. It's online. If you want to read ahead and know what we're studying on the weekend, you can, you can do so during the week. And I would encourage you to do that. Let me give you a summary. We're going to make a couple observations. Okay? Here's a summary of Psalm 20. This is a prayer before going off to battle. Psalm 21, you can read that on your own, coincidentally is the praise after the battle and the praise after that victory. Known as a royal psalm, Psalm 20 takes place in the sanctuary. And it contains a beautiful expression of solidarity between the people of God, the Israelites, and their king, King David. Hear this, church. All are involved in imploring the Lord's favor for victory in an upcoming battle against the enemy. I repeat, all are involved in the sanctuary in begging and imploring the Lord's favor for victory in the upcoming battle against their enemy. King David's victory depended not on his or the Israelites' devotion to their cavalry. It depended on their devotion to God and His power. Amen? Let's read through verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to do 6 through 9. In verses 1 through 5, if you, if you did read ahead, it gets a little tricky. Because verses 1 through 5, these are the words of the Israelites on behalf of David. David writes the words, but it's the words spoken by the Israelites for David. And then in verse 6, David takes over and writes on behalf of himself and on behalf of the congregation. Does that make sense? Okay, so follow with me. Verse 1, David records... The Israelites, the people of God, saying, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high, they say to their king, and they pray for their king. Verse 2, May the Lord send you help from the sanctuary, and may the Lord support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. Verse 4, May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. In verse 5, we will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill your petitions. So David records the words as the congregation prayed them and spoke them. Make sense? And then it transitions in verse 6. David says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we, church, will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we, church, have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord, may the King answer us in the day we call. Psalm 20 beautifully reveals the need for and the power of corporate prayer. Prayer within the church, when the church comes together to pray. Here we see not just the leader or the leaders of this church praying, but the whole assembly is praying. It is my hope, it is my prayer that the Rock Community Church continues to grow and continues to mature in our collective devotion to prayer, both personally and corporately. 
Let's look at verses 1 and verses 9. That's the first verse and the last verse. The first part of verse 1 says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble, and then jump to the latter part of 9, May the King answer us in the day we call. Back to 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. In verse 9, May the King answer us in the day we call. That sounds very similar, doesn't it? In literary terms, that's called inclusio, or bracket inclusio, or parenthetical inclusio. It's starting and ending the exact same way, and it's for emphasis. The writer is emphasizing something. One of the things that David is emphasizing is when he says, May the Lord answer you, and may the King answer us. It is important that we understand what King David is saying is that we direct our petitions, our concerns, our fears, our cares, our battles to the Lord. May the Lord answer us in our trouble. May the King answer us when we call. That's where we are to go when we're looking for answers. It's also interesting to me this. Go back to verse 1. May the Lord answer you when, does it say? In the day of what? In the day of trouble. Go to verse 9. May the king answer us when? In the day we call. David is equating the day of trouble is also the day of calling. Do you get that? May the Lord answer us in the day of trouble. May the king answer us in the day we call. The day of trouble needs to be the day we call. So often in the church, we get to the point where it's like, well, I've tried everything. I guess I might as well pray. All there's left to do now is pray. David is clearly telling us that the day of trouble is the day we're to call. What is your default in times of trouble? The encouragement in Psalm 20 is may the Lord answer, may the King answer. Where do we go when we are looking for answers? My wife, had, my wife added this one for me after last night. She said, Google it, right? I'll just Google it. I'm looking for answers. I'll Google it. Where do we go when we're looking for answers? Do we go to our spouse? A friend? Parents? Pastor Dave? Pastor Mark? Go to Pastor Dave. Much better at giving answers than I am. Or do we check out when, in the day of trouble? We plug in the TV, watch something, we just work more, we jump into our hobbies, we exercise. Maybe we partake in some kind of substance that we shouldn't partake in and we escape. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, in the middle of verse 6 it says, He will answer him from his holy heaven. What I find interesting is in verses 1 and 9, verse 1 and 9 May the Lord answer you. May the King answer us. And then in verse 6 it says, He will answer. And what I think this is telling us is that verses 1 and 9, that shows us our need to pray earnestly. That's a need for us to pray earnestly. And in verse 6, I believe, gives us permission and the encouragement to pray expectantly. We're to pray earnestly and we're to pray expectantly. Can I get an amen? Let's take a quick look at what's inside the brackets. 
and provide ourselves an outline. But before we do that, let me point out something to you. In verses 1, verses 5, and verse 1, 5, and 7. In verse 1, in the middle of verse 1, or the, the latter half, it says, May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. The name. Look at verse 5. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The name. And in verse 7, but we will boast what? In the name of the Lord our God. There is power just in the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's why we say, O Lord, in your name we pray. Because there's power in the name of the Lord. Amen? So, here's my best effort of an outline. I think it's going to be on the screen. Three-point outline for me. The first is verses 1 through 4. The name of the Lord is our beacon. That's who we turn to. It's what we look for. We follow Him. Lord, send me in the right direction. Verse 5 is the name of the Lord is our banner. That's verse 5, point number 2. And then point number 3, the name of the Lord is our boast. Verses 6 through 9. The Lord needs to be our beacon. We follow Him. We look to Him for direction and for guidance. And then we get so intertwined with following the the Lord that we put a banner over our lives and says, I belong to Him. He is mine and I am His. And I represent Him. And we proudly display His banner. And then He becomes our boast. And as we do, as He leads us, and as we recognize that we are belonging to Him and no other, then we boast about what He does in our lives. I shared this in the first two services when I thought about the Lord as our banner, you know, and who we associate with. I thought of Jeff Ochoa. If you know anything about Jeff, he's always wearing something that says USC. He's a huge honk honk for USC. He loves the Trojans. And so he identifies. That's his banner. That's his sports team's banner. But what I love more about Jeff Ochoa is he wears the banner of Christ in his life. If you know anything about Jeff, that is a godly man. And he doesn't need to wear that because you can proudly see it displayed already. It's just amazing. I commend you, brother. So the name of the Lord is our beacon. Point number one. Proverbs 18.10 should be on the screen. Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. We run to the Lord. That's where our safety is. That's where we get our direction from. Micah 7.8 says this, Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. The name of the Lord is our beacon. The name of the Lord is our banner. Point number two. Psalm 60 verse 4 says this. You have given a banner to those who fear you. That it may be displayed because of the truth. We are a truth teaching church. I pray that when people see you, they see the Lord's banner over your life. That it is displayed proudly because of the truth that we represent. And the third thing, the name of the Lord is our boast. Judges 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Who remembers the story about Gideon? How many, how many, how many did, he, did the Lord pare his army down to? What was the number? How many? 300, you're right. I think it is 300. Is that right? 300, right? So the Lord pared down the army to 300 to fight how many? 
How many? Thousands. What's, it's like 20,000, 30,000, I think. And there was only like 12,000 to begin with. Gideon's like, I only got 12, and I'm, you want me to go against 30. 12,000 against 30,000. You want me to pare it down to 300? Yes, so that you will not boast in any way, shape, or form. And that all boasting will be about me. Psalm 5.5. 5. Here's a challenge. It's a warning. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, the psalmist says. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. We must boast in the Lord. The Lord, the name of the Lord is our boast. The big idea for me is this. The big idea of this Psalm 20 is that prayer empowers us to fight the right battles the right way. Prayer empowers us to fight the right battles the right way. Daniel, can you put that on the screen? Just the big idea. Thank you so much. Just want to make sure you got it for those of you who are taking notes. Prayer empowers us to fight the right battles the right way. So let's pause for a moment, church. Let's contemplate the context of our psalm. What's the context again? They're in the sanctuary and they're praying because they're about to do what? Huh? Go to battle. That's exactly right. It would be right and well to say that this is certainly a good time to be praying. That David and the Israelites need to pray. Let me share this with you. According to the Canadian Army Journal, a former president of the Norwegian Academy of Sciences, aided by historians from England, Egypt, Germany, and India, came up with some amazing figures and findings. Since the year 3600 BC, 3600 BC, the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there have been 14,000 531 wars, both large and small, in which, get this, 3,640,000,000 people have been killed. Is that tragic? The value of the destruction would pay for a golden belt to go around our earth 97 miles in width and 33 feet thick. Since 650 B.C., there have been 1,656 arms races, only 16 of which, which have not ended in war, and the remainder have ended in the economic collapse of the countries that were involved. Let me ask you a question, church. How many of you would be honest enough to raise your hand to say that you were in some sort of a battle in the last 30 to 60 days? I already told you about mine. I lost, right? Thank you. What if I made the claim, boldly, that every single one of us in here in this room was in some sort of a battle during these last 60 days? What if I made that claim boldly that each one of us here was in a battle in the last 60 days? What might I be talking about, church? Huh? Spiritual battle. Good job. That was good. Spiritual battle is perfect. Two things I want to tell you. There's two battles that we've actually been fighting in the last 60 days. One's probably going to be more obvious than the other. The first one is our personal battle, our personal walk in our Christian walk and our Christian faith. The second one is our corporate battle, the corporate walk that we are called to as a church. Let's talk about the first one, our personal battle between our flesh and our spirit, the personal spiritual battle that we're in. Turn, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Right after First and Second Corinthians. 
Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. The writer says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are what, does it say? In opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. There's a war that takes place, a battle that takes place every day between our flesh and our spirit. Turn to First Peter, a little to your right, tucked in behind Hebrews. So go through Hebrews, James, and you'll find First Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you, I beg you, as aliens and strangers in this place called earth, to abstain from fleshly lusts, which do what? Wage war against the soul. We are in a battle. Turn to Romans 7. <laughs> Romans 7. Does anybody like Romans 7? Does anybody know about Romans 7? Romans 7's a trip. Theologians are about split down the middle as to whether Paul wrote this as a believer or whether he wrote it in his condition he was in before he was a believer. It's a trip, man. Romans 7 is a trip. One of the craziest chapters in all the Bible for me. Starting in verse 14. Romans 7, verse 14, all the way to 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. Sold into bondage to sin. Verse 15. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Oh, my head is spinning, right? Oh, my word. Verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, our beacon through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, the one hand I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Romans 7. Wow. That's just our personal walk. Now we've got to talk about our corporate walk as a church. The battle between good and evil. Let me ask you a somewhat vague question. In Psalm 20, who's David and the Israelites? Who are they going to war with? We don't know, right? Arguably, it's the Ammonites and or the Syrians, probably. But more specifically, they were fighting the Lord's enemies. They were fighting the Lord's enemies. 
Just as physicians fight a battle against disease and death, so our Lord wages war against sin and evil. Can I get an amen? That is the Lord we serve. He has waged a war against sin and evil. Let's turn to Ephesians 6. Ah, Ephesians 6. I'm so excited about Ephesians 6. You thought Romans 7 was hard. Ephesians 6. It's actually a little bit more simple, but just maybe perhaps a little heavier. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Church, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, the writer says, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Wow. As horrible as those stats were that I shared, that there was only 292 years of peace since the year 3600 B.C., those are horrible stats, right? As horrible as those were, let me tell you, church, there's been zero, not years, zero days. Zero days of peace since our Lord has waged war against sin and evil. Zero days of peace. 292 years out of the last 5,000 sounds pretty good compared to zero days. Every single day, lives are at stake in the battle for good and evil. Every day. Zero days of peace. And so the Lord has something for us, church. Some quotes worth pondering about the church. Harvey Cox says this. All these quotes I think are good. I don't think they're complete. Just something for us to think about. The church's task, says Harvey Cox, in the secular city is to be the diakonos of the city, which means servant. The servant who bends himself to struggle for its wholeness and health, to serve our city. I'm okay with that. I think there's more. Donald Bloch says this, The need today is neither for a therapeutic church nor for a political church, but for a confessing church, one that will boldly confess the claims of Christ in the face of the heresies and heterodoxies of our age. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, There can only be a church as a confessing church. That is, a church which confesses itself to be for its Lord and against his enemies. 
All right, Pastor Mark, what the heck does that mean for us? I'm going to give you a number of appetizers, and then I'm going to hit you with the entree about what we need to take away from this. Is that all right? What do we take away with this, individually and collectively as a church? It can be argued that every day, each and every one of us faces personal battles. And I refer to Psalm 20, where he says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the King answer us in the day we call. We need to pray. Second, it can be argued that every day, each and every one of us takes part, takes part in the Lord's ongoing battle against the enemy and evil. And I refer to Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the King answer us in the day we call. We need to pray. The third appetizer, prayer is too often underutilized in the church as a weapon of our warfare. Psalm 20 implores us to reconsider prayer in our warfare. We need to pray. Four, Psalm 20 shows us that good and great people of God are those that know ever so well how to pray for themselves as David did. But they also do not despise. Arguably, they earnestly desire the prayers of others for them as the congregants prayed for David. We need to pray. Number five, Romans 8.31 also reminds us on the screen that if God is for us, what? Who is against us? To be battle ready, we must pray. Number six, Matthew Henry says this, one of my favorite theologians. Matthew Henry says, even the greatest of men must be much in prayer. David, though a man of business, though a man of war, was constant to his devotions. Though he had prophets and priests and many good people among his subjects to pray for him, he did not think that that excused him from praying for himself. Matthew Henry says this, Let none of you, none of us, let none expect benefit by the prayers of the church or of their ministers or of their friends or of their families who are capable of praying for themselves and yet neglect to do so. The prayer of others must be desired but do not supersede but come second after our own for ourselves. We need to pray. Seventh appetizer, David did indeed fight the battles that the Lord placed before him, and he did so bathed in prayer. We need to pray. Number eight, as a church, are we ready to fight the battles that the Lord may have for us? Are we battle ready? We need to pray. The entrees. These are the main things that I thought the Lord wanted us to take away from today. First is a commendation. I commend you, church. Since the inception of The Rock in 2003, I've only been here for nine or ten months, the Rock Community Church has leaned on the Lord and looked to Him for answers. You have prayed, and I commend you. The Lord has brought a variety of battles and many victories along the way. You have prayed, and I commend you. Both personally and as a church body, you have prayed, and I commend you. The second entree 
as a challenge, the smaller challenge for us as a church, that we continue to battle in our own lives, our own marriages, our own families, as we flee from sin and the destruction that it causes, we need to pray. The bigger challenge, number three, there is an enormous, an enormous battle for souls, and it takes place every day. We need to pray. We are the Lord's church. We are His chosen instrument. It's the Lord's banner that we want to display proudly here, none other. Are we ready to fight the battles that the Lord may have for us as a church? We need to pray. As the senior pastor of the Rock Community Church, like David, I'm praying. The elders and the trustees, they're praying. Like the Israelites who prayed for David in Psalm 20, I implore and beg you to pray. As a church, we need to pray collectively. Finally, as I continue to settle in, this is week six, this is crazy. As I continue to settle in, I will continue to seek the heart of God for us as His church. Whatever He wants. Whether He wants us to plant churches, start a Christian preschool and kindergarten to reach the community, expand our ministries and missions, knock down walls, whatever it might be, my assumption will safely remain this, that as long as the Lord still has us here, then He is not yet done with His work. Nor are we. I pray that the Rock Community Church becomes less inclined to ask the Lord to bless what we are doing and become more inclined to do what He is blessing. I repeat, I pray that the Rock Community Church becomes less inclined to ask the Lord to bless what we are doing and more inclined to do what He is blessing. The Lord is always at work. Where did our whole role start, church? Turn to Genesis. We're going to wrap this up. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Who started this whole mess? Why are we here? Why is this church here? Why do we gather? Turn to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth or leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your house, and go to the land that I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. In verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. Why? And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. We are here to bless the families of the earth. It's what God has called us to. To join Him in battle for lost souls. Zero days of peace. We have been in battles the last 60 days, whether we recognize it or not. I say we need to engage and understand that. Let me close with a quote from C.S. Lewis, and then I'm going to pray. And my prayer is going to be, I'm actually going to pray Psalm 3. All right, so I'm going to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis, and then I'm going to pray. And then, of course, when we conclude, 
to my left and your right will be our prayer team. We need to pray. So don't be afraid to go to the prayer team if there's anything you would like prayer for. C.S. Lewis says this, It is so easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects. Education, building, missions, holding services. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ. To make them little Christs, Christians. If they are not doing that, if churches are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. Is anybody challenged this morning? I was challenged. As I get a little older, I'm 50. I can't believe I'm 50, but I'm 50. I measure things a little differently. I want to join the Lord in what He's doing. It scares me, to be sure. But I'm okay with that. And I want you to be too. We need to pray. Let me close this in prayer. Psalm 3. As we pray, O oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. And everybody said, Amen.